0: Chapter 30 of A Lad of Metal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Ryan Jacob. A Lad of Metal by Nat Gould. Goodbye to Australia. How Captain Manton came to Sydney, and how he received a welcome of the heartiest description on all sides, is well known throughout the colony. His marvellous escape and subsequent adventures, and the strange discovery of him at Tarna by Edgar Foster and Wal Jessop, have been related over and over again. His examination by the marine board was thoroughly satisfactory, and Captain Fife said no man could have done more than Captain Manton to save his ship. The tall, commanding form of Captain Manton, and the pretty child accompanying him wherever he went, soon became familiar figures in the parks of Sydney. The big, Stalwart seaman was wrapped up in his child and his intense love for her was shown in every word and action they sat together for hours on the grassy slopes of the botanical gardens overlooking the harbour and watched the big steamers pass to and fro and the sailing vessels towed out from their snug berths to face the perils of an ocean voyage to some far distant land those were halcyon days for little ava manton and she often thought of them in after years when the business of life had commenced for her in real earnest. Leaving Captain Manton to rejoice in his newfound happiness, Edgar Foster took a trip out west to Yander, in order to bid goodbye to his friends before finally departing for England. They were all very pleased to see him at Yander, and Ben Brodie could not refrain from relating wonderful and improbable yarns about his experiences with Edgar in London. "'It's grown into a mighty big place,' said Ben. "'You fellows have no idea what London is like.' "'Bless me if the people are not thicker on the pavements than sheep in a catching pen.' "'What's the mutton like over there?' asked Jim Lee solemnly. "'Nearly as juicy as it is here,' said Ben, with a wink and a smack of the lips that betokened fond remembrances of sun-dry, succulent London chops. Yakka made quite a scene when he discovered that Edgar had returned. He summoned all the blacks in the neighbourhood, and a great corroboree took place in his honour. To Edgar's inquiries, Yaka said he had resolved never to return to the country of the Enuma, or to the cave of the white spirit, now no longer there. Yaka was contented to live and die at Yander, where Ben Brodie and the hands were kind to him, and where he could idle away most of his time and spend a savage life such as the black fellow loves. Would you not like to become civilized? asked Edgar, and cultivate the ways of the white man? No, said Yaka, to be civilized means rum and ruin. Yaka loves his freedom, and wants no civilization. It was in vain Edgar endeavoured to induce Yaka to leave Yander, and go to Sydney with him. The black was firm in his resolve never to quit Yander again, and many years after, Edgar learned that Yaka died at the station, and was much regretted, not only by the blacks, but also by the hands. Before Edgar left Sydney, he was entertained by the cricketers of the city at a banquet, and the speeches made on that memorable occasion were treasured by him. They were not mere after-dinner displays, but real, genuine words spoken from the heart, and Edgar accepted them as such. Edgar made many attempts to induce Captain Manton to return to England with him. The captain, however, was firm in his determination not to leave Sydney. "'I want to end my days here in peace,' he said to Edgar. "'I have only Ava to live for, and I feel we shall be happy here with our good friends, the Jessops. You will tell your father how much I thank him for all his kindness to me and mine. I am sorry you have decided to remain here, said Edgar. We should all be so pleased to welcome you home. I feel I must remain, my lad, said Captain Manton. I want to be near the place where I lost my wife and my ship, and all the poor souls who went down with her. God knows I did my best to save them, but it was not to be. I feel it to be my duty to stay here, a duty I owe to the dead who lie buried fathoms deep off this spot. At Watson's Bay I hope to end my days, and I am thankful Ava has been restored to me to keep me from being lonely in my declining years. While Jessop became more reconciled to parting with Edgar Foster when he heard that Captain Manton had decided to remain and take a small cottage at Watson's Bay. I should have been lost without one of you, he said and I don't know what the wife would have done without Ava. She loves that band as much as if she were her own. The day that Edgar sailed for home, Captain Manton and Ava stood on the cliffs at Watson's Bay and watched the great steamer pass slowly through the heads. They waved their handkerchiefs, and Captain Manton, looking through his glasses, spied Edgar leaning over the rails of the upper deck, also waving a farewell. As he saw those two figures on the cliffs, Edgar Foster felt a sadness creep over him at the thought that he might never see them again he watched them as the steamer ploughed its way south until they were mere specks against the skyline as for captain manton and ava they stood there until the steamer had disappeared and only a faint line of smoke denoted where she had sunk below the horizon then the captain took ava by the hand and led her gently down the rough steep pathway to Wal jessop's cottage he did not feel lonely for he had his child to comfort him and he knew the remainder of his life would be quiet uneventful and peaceful he had determined to devote his life to his child and to try and teach her how to be a brave good woman mrs jessop had been a mother to ava and she felt it would be hard to part with her try and persuade captain manton to stay with us she said to wal we have room for him and then i shall not lose ava wal jessop broached the subject to captain manton who was easily persuaded to fall in with Mrs. Jessop's wishes. It will be better for Ava, he said, for your wife has taken her mother's place. I shall not want much attention. We old sailors are accustomed to looking after ourselves and taking things easily, eh? Well, I guess we are, replied Well. I'm right glad you have decided to stay with us, Skipper. I believe the wife would have broken her heart if you had taken Ava away from her so captain manton and ava remained at wal jessops cottage and a happy united family they were leaving captain manton and the jessops we must now return to edgar foster who after a safe passage home was once more at his father's house at elm lodge he related how captain manton was found and excited interest by displaying a number of curiosities he had secured in the south seas i wish manton had come home with you said his father i wanted to see him again "'After all, I think he decided rightly to remain in Sydney,' said Edgar. "'Ava was much attached to Mrs Jessop, and Wal will be a good companion for the captain. "'Naturally, Edgar had not been home long before he paid a visit to the wilds, "'and he found Muriel looking more charming than ever. "'After several years of travel, Edgar felt it was high time he settled down "'and devoted himself to business seriously. "'He knew his father was moderately well off, but he was determined to get his own living.' and not rely upon him. He did not know that Mrs. Wilde was a wealthy woman, or he would perhaps have felt some diffidence in proposing to Muriel. Will Brown and Doris Foster were married soon after Edgar's return, and resided in a comfortable house at Putney. When Edgar had been at home some time, the secretary of the M. Cricket Club died, and Robert Foster thought it would be a good place for his son. The salary was excellent, and the work such as Edgar liked and knew a good deal about. At a meeting of the club, Edgar's name came up, and the committee decided in his favour, at the same time suggesting that he should play when required. This suited Edgar's plans admirably, and it was somewhat of a novelty to see the secretary of such a club taking a prominent position in the cricket field. Feeling his position secure, and having now an ample income for his wants, Edgar asked Muriel Wilde to marry him at an early date, and she consented. The wedding took place at Twickenham Church, and never had the sun shone on a prettier bride, or a more manly-looking bridegroom. Prosperity dogged Edgar's footsteps, for he invested a considerable sum in mines in West Australia, and being well advised, his speculation proved successful. As the years rolled on, he became a devoted husband and father, and he taught his sons to be honest and manly, and to earn for themselves a good name as lads of metal in the cricket field edgar constantly distinguished himself and many a century was recorded to his credit through his management the club of which he was secretary advanced by leaps and bounds until financially it stood far above the average run of clubs and in the cricket field had twice held the honours at the close of the season news from sydney came frequently and kept edgar in touch with the world over the water for which he had a great affection many years after edgar foster left sydney for the last time an old man and a lovely girl were sitting on the cliffs at watson's bay below them the vast expanse of sea lay calm and still hardly a ripple stirred the placid surface of the water as it gently lapped over the smooth worn slabs of rock at the base of the cliffs a faint breeze fanned the faces of the old man and the beautiful girl and waved his white beard gently and caressingly lingered amidst her silken hair It was easy to see they were father and daughter, for she resembled him very much. They both looked out to sea and watched the boats sailing slowly in the calm water. Scores of yachts and small boats had ventured outside the heads on this calm day. It was Sunday, and there were many people from Sydney enjoying the cool breeze on the cliffs. Several of them looked at the grey-bearded man and his lovely daughter, and there was respect in their glances for they knew the history of this inseparable pair. Ava Manton had developed into a lovely girl. The promise of childhood had been fulfilled in womanhood, for a woman she was, although her father always called her My Little Girl. Captain Manton was aging rapidly, but still looked to have many years of life before him. With Sturdy Jessop and his wife, he passed life comfortably, and lived for his daughter, who amply repaid the affection he bestowed upon her. Ava Manton had her admirers as other girls have, but she kept them at arm's length. She meant to be her father's companion while he lived, and thought it no sacrifice upon her part to remain with him. Now she could understand all about that terrible wreck, and how old jessops sturdy arms had rescued Edgar Foster and herself from the rocks below where they stood. She often sat there looking down into the depths, and thought how Edgar Foster had at the risk of his own life saved hers then she would think of the peril her father had passed through and of his wonderful rescue and discovery on the island by wal jessop and edgar she felt it was good to be alive after such trials and sufferings and she was thankful for her existence a letter from edgar said wal jessop one morning as they all sat in the cottage this was an important event and one always eagerly looked forward to edgar's letters gave them all pleasure they were so bright and cheery and full of good news and good wishes while jessop read it and as usual had to repeat the operation that's what i call a manly letter said captain manton he was always a straight-goer said Wal jessop as a lad he was a manly youngster he was brave said ava and full of courage he risked his life for mine and for that i am ever grateful said her father I wish him well, said Wa, well, for he deserves to be happy. I always thought him a lad of metal. End of chapter thirty End of a lad of metal by Nat Gould.